0: Oh, wait a minute! Wait a
1: minute! That's a terrible call.
0: That is a terrible call! Brown in the field. Jalen. <laughs> Lowdown's candles out! Gets it, head to Tatum off the bounce. To the basket! <laughs> Come on, refs, get with the game. Welcome back to the Celtics Blog Podcast. As usual, I'm Adam Taylor, your host. I'm joined by my boy, Tim Shields. And today we're joined by Ben Pfeiffer, a draft expert that works alongside Celtics Blog's own, Max Carlin, on the prep to pros podcast. Thank you for joining us today, Ben. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Adam. Thanks for having me on. Pleasure's all mine. Pleasure's all mine. Before we start, do you want to let everybody know where they can find you, where you're on social media or any work that you're currently working on that you'd like everybody to see?
2: Uh, yeah, so like Adam said, I host um, Prep to Pro Pod with, with Max. Um, we're on all the podcast platforms. You can find us on Twitter. I'm um, having a lot of fun with that. You can follow me on Twitter at Ben underscore, Pfeiffer underscore. That's where you see all my content. I'm uh, either writing analyses or making YouTube videos or I have something special coming in the near future that I won't share. But I'm very excited for that. So yeah, uh, just keep updated with my Twitter for all my content.
0: That something special is a reason to be following him anyway, because everything <laughs> he's been doing lately has been like red hot. So, definitely check out Ben's socials. So, let's jump into it. Ben, you're a draft expert. This is, we're going to be on this podcast for the next probably six weeks, five weeks. We're going to be having a different member of the media run from each different team to talk about picks that they like for their team. And in the end, we're going to add it all together and do like a huge people's like muck draft board. So with you, I'd like to talk about the Boston picks that are available and then we'll kind of go into the discussion you had over on Lockton Hawks recently. So to begin with, the three picks that Boston had, assuming that they're all going to be staying, it seems very unlikely to me that Boston entered the draft with all three picks. But hey-ho, who would you feel like are some of the best options with each of those picks?
2: Okay, so I'm looking at Tankathon um, mock draft. So it's they're about 17-ish range. Um, I think the guy who I'd want to be targeting there is um, FSU wing Devin Vassell. Is 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 the main guy who I would hope to fall to that area? That's realistic. That I think could really help the Celtics. I have Vassell in in the top like six or seven clearly on my board. I think he's a fantastic prospect. He's a six foot seven wing, um, the best team defender in the draft, actually. I think shares quite a, quite a few uh, defensive similarities with Jason Tatum. I mean, he's super disruptive at the nail. He's a playmaker off the ball, makes incredible reads, and he's not super, super incredible on the ball, and he could add weight, but as a, as a help defender, he's really special and would fit into Boston's uh, defense excellently. Offensively, there are definitely questions, but the upside with Vassal offensively is that is that he might just be a really good, difficult shot maker? As um, you know, Vassal shot really well on far twos this year 43%. Um, he has questions about his lack of first step explosion, his decision making, but overall, Vassal should be um, a solid player. Um, on offense in the NBA, at least. And he's a really strong bet to be 3 and D plus wing who really competes on both ends and can be super impactful and disruptive on defense. And hopefully, a, a, if he can at least shoot spot-ups, he should be a, a positive offensive player and a guy who really helps the Celtics um, in the long run as someone who can
0: add value without um, taking up usage. Uh, what about the only thing that catches me there is He's is, is another wing. How do you feel that would work for Boston having Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Gordon Hayward Romeo Langford and then adding another wing in do you feel like he'd be able to get the minutes he needs to continue developing? I think that's certainly a concern, but at this
2: point, I think if he's there, he'd be the clear best, best player available, and that's kind of the strategy I think that you want to go with, is just taking the best player. But then, then again, I think you can never have too much insurance on the wing, especially with Gordon Hayward's, um starting to age, and obviously he's had his injury concerns, so it, it can't hurt to have more depth on the wing, and obviously, if anything ever happens to Tatum or Brown, but I think the thing about Vassal is so he can pretty seamlessly play next to those guys, and, and the Celtics can have the versatility to go ultra-big on the wing if they want to, or they can downsize with Vassal. Probably not at the four. I don't think I'd play him at the four, but they can play him at the three and maybe throw Tatum or Brown at the four. So I think I think it offers them quite a bit of versatility, and maybe if there was a guard or a big that that really fell, like like someone like maybe Onyeka Congu fell, I would, which he, he won't. He's being mocked in the top five-ish, but... If a big they thought was really valuable, fell or, or a guard, maybe they take him over. But but I
0: think as a value, I think Vass is a guy you really want there. Giving Tim another chance to jump in. Uh, what about with the second pick for Boston? Because they have so they've got their own, they've got Memphis, and they've got Milwaukee. So looking at that Memphis pick, if that was still, if Boston was still in control of that pick, and it conveys, which it looks like it will, who do you think would be a good pick with that pick? Are oh, you asking me? Yes, uh,
2: sir. Yes. sorry, Oh, Oh, my bad. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, my apologies. I don't know. Hmm. That's interesting. Stuff. I think at that point, um, I, it, it isn't because you'd want a big man. A big man wouldn't be terrible there. So, um, maybe you look at trying to get some like um Alexi Pok Alexei Pokasetsky, um, eighteen-year-old uh, uh, Greek big man who's probably not a center, but just like an incredibly would be an upside gamble for them. And it makes sense. I mean, assuming they actually make the picks, um, it it would definitely make sense for them to, to to make one of their picks, at least more upside. And Pokaseski, um, Six foot, 11, legit six foot, 11, seven foot with, with real guard skills. I mean, the idea, that, the idea is, the, is that he's this incredible um, potential shooter. I mean, he shoots off movement off the dribble at his size. It's really, really rare. He shows flashes of, of pick and roll ball handling. He's a really, really smart passer, makes some crazy anticipatory plays, makes some plays out of the pick and roll. And then defensively, he is a steals and blocks monster. He has awesome instincts, and he really makes plays. But the issues with Pokashevsky become that, one, um, if the shooting isn't really great, he he might not work out because he's so skinny and he struggles to score in the half court. He plays in the Greeks, I believe, second division, um, which is not great competition, and he struggles in the half court. So... That's an issue. And then defensively, he has a lot of technical and strength issues. But, I mean, at that range in the draft, and especially for a team like Boston that's already quite good and has a lot of pieces, they can maybe afford to swing on upside because if Pokashevsky hits, he could be a really, really rare NBA player with his skills at his size. So that's that's someone I'd try to target in that range to see if I can get him to fall there.
1: If you're looking at just in terms of if the Celtics end up staying at their spot um, one guy that has been mocked, I'm pointing at the same thing with Tankathon, um, in the mid-20s is a potential guy. Is Vernon Carey Jr. from Duke? What do you think his potential is to potentially end up in green? And do you hmm. think, what, what kind of ceiling and floor does he offer? I know that there have been some concerns there.
2: Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of Vernon Carey. I think there's a pretty good chance that he's... A passable rotation big like like in his defense um he, he was very productive as a freshman um effective score around the rim um did a lot was 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 solid defensively but it's difficult to really project him as a first round value because um just he's just not very special as a big man and i mean with how replaceable big men are in the it's just in the, in the NBA as a whole, it's, it's, it's hard to justify spending a first round pick on a guy like Carey who doesn't project as anything much more. I mean, he, he's a passable mover on defense, but he's really nothing special and his instincts aren't incredible. His passing is a huge question mark as he showed some flashes of passes out of the post or skips from the weak corner or even even a little bit of handling. But his decision making is really raw. He's very left hand dominant and the jumper is a big question mark. So as a guy who, especially if he lands in Boston, I don't think Boston is going to be giving him many post touches as that's just not a thing Boston does very much. Um, and just with, I, I, I mean, I mean, we've seen how successful Boston has been with guys like Tice and Cancer as their big men who really didn't cost a lot relatively to acquire. So I think wasting, or I don't know if I don't want to say wasting, but spending a first round pick on a guy who at least I don't think has a chance to be very special or a true difference maker isn't something I would do. Um, But I could see, I I could maybe see Ainge going for a Vernon Carey if they really feel like he's a difference maker type of big man for them.
1: I guess it also depends on what kind of usage, as you said, are they going to put him in the paint or is that really more so they want him to work from the arc? You know, he was a 38% shooter from three on average, but he also wasn't making a lot of attempts. So is it something where you try and roll the dice in that, see if he develops that three point shot a little bit more at the professional level? Or do you potentially try and package these picks together to move up and get someone who provides a little bit more oomph in terms of shooting?
2: Yeah, I mean, I would personally. I mean, at least like generally and especially in this draft, I would advise against drafting up just because I think just the way this class is, um, it's to, to, to begin with, it's a pretty weak class at the top, and there's just not a lot of depth. But I think there's all. But I think as I mean. As um, we're going to talk about um, on prep to pro soon, there is a lot of value to be found in this class. Just given where some guys are mocked and what the stock some guys seem to be, so I think as a smart team would be really could be really well, especially like the Celtics. Maybe even packaging their picks to maybe get a, like a better first round next year in a really strong class, or we move back and get a similar if not better player later in the class. So, or a smart team like Boston, there's a lot of potential value to be had. I, I mean, we saw how well they did last year um, in, in the draft, acquiring picks and really hitting really hitting big on on a lot of their picks. I mean, Carson Edwards was an incredible year, but Grant Williams was a great pick. I have a good deal, I have a good amount of belief in Romeo Langford as
0: well. So I think they could do a similar thing in this draft if, if, if Ainge wants to. And then, kind of looking at a different scenario for the Celtics is one that you spoke about when you was a guest on the Locked On Hawks podcast recently. Mm-hmm and that was where the Hawks were looking to trade down, maybe for multiple picks in the draft. And you meant you mentioned Boston as a good option for them due to the amount of picks they have l- later in the first round. How would you see that trade happening if that was to happen? Do you feel like it would be all three picks for, for Atlanta's what projects to be a top five pick? Or do you feel like it would be two plus a player? And how would you see that working out? At-
2: yeah, I mean I'm not going to pretend to have any intel or anything. I mean I'm not exactly sure how it would work, but I mean looking at what Atlanta last did last year trading up. I mean they gave up a ton to move up. They gave up multiple top multiple lottery picks um t- to move up and get DeAndre Hunter last year. So I'm not sure with their with, with just their I mean with, without a, a lottery pick, I'm not sure the Celtics would have enough ammo to to go get a top five pick just talking about um, their picks this year. I think maybe they'd have to give a player, like you said, I'm not exactly sure which player they trade or who they'd think is worth trading up, but, or maybe they could throw in a future pick or two. I mean, we know how Ainge, how much Ainge loves to stack his picks and assets. So maybe if, maybe if the Celtics believe that there's someone really valuable or someone that they can't miss at the top of the draft, at the top of the draft, um, then they'll package picks and go get him. I mean, we saw the Celtics did that with Jason Tatum back in 2017, and we've seen how that's worked out. So um, if I think it would take more than their 2020 picks to, to really move up because I, I doubt the Hawks would take three, at least they shouldn't take three, non-lottery picks to move out of the top five because there's just such a massive drop-off in talent once you leave that top five, top ten range As as the difference in talent, between a top 10 pick and um, like a mid-20s pick
0: is really, really massive. Under the scenario that they did manage to get a trade done, uh, assuming a player went as well and Boston moved into that Atlanta range, is there a player there that you feel that would fit into this Boston team that would be a a surefire hit? I
2: mean, yeah. I think it depends how high they can get. Um, if they if they get to around like the the back end top ten, I think uh, USC freshman big um, Onyeka Okongwu would be awesome for Boston. I mean, he. I mean, I guess he he fills that need. You could say they don't have uh, anyone a projectable star big man. And though I don't think though I don't think Onyeka has star upside. I think he's probably the safest bet in this entire class to be like to be a good NBA player, and that would be pretty big to get. Watson, especially considering I mean, I mean Onyeka, six foot nine, two forty five, uh, freshman big, super productive at USC. Just a really impressive mover on defense, and can play in a variety of pick and roll coverage, which really just helps the versatility of Boston's defense. He can hedge, he can drop, he can switch, he can really do it all. And he's an awesome rim protector with great timing, uh, super vert- super vertically strong. Defends the post offensively. He's got awesome touch around the rim. Um, really great finisher inside with both hands, and though his shooting his shooting 's not like a sure thing, he shot uh okay on free throws and his jumper is smooth so I think there's a good chance he shoots spot-ups at some point in the future and I mean he just looks like a potentially very dangerous roll man with I mean already showing some handling coordination and being a super awesome vertical lob threat. So I think he he'd fit very well into what Boston likes to do with with their high pick and rolls. I think he and Kemba Walker would get along very well. Um yeah, I, I think he'd be um he'd be definitely someone I look in at that range. Obviously, if they can go higher, um I probably wouldn't if they can get one of LaMelo Ball, Anthony Edwards, um, Killian Hayes, or Tyrese Maxey, who is my top tier, I wouldn't pass on them, even though you're probably playing a value game with those last two because Hayes and Maxey um, are pretty lo- low in a lot of mocks and projections. Like, Maxey generally falls around around like low lottery, and Hayes is, is going anywhere between like, 7 and 12. So those guys would be huge additions, even if they're not expressly positions of need. I think they'd be too good to pass up on.
1: And also, in terms of mock drafts I've looked at, there was one that was dropped um, mid-April as well as one that was dropped on May 1st. Uh, We're looking at Atlanta right now. Atlanta, the first mock draft I looked at from nbadraft.net, had Atlanta landing fourth overall in drafting Memphis' Big Man James Wiseman, and then the CBS – Sports dropped a mock draft on May 1st with looking at Wiseman dropping as far as 12th overall in Atlanta, taking um, Isaac Okoro from Auburn, 5th overall. What, what are your thoughts on Okoro in terms of his fit with Atlanta and as well as that looking at Wiseman and potentially seeing a team trying to move up for him such as Boston? Uh,
2: yeah, I mean... I mean, Okoro, I'm definitely higher on than a lot of people. Well, it's funny because Okoro was this like draft Twitter gem darling um, at the beginning of the season. I think around like 30s or 40s in RSCI, a lot of us were very high on him coming in. And as as the season's gone on, a lot of uh, people on like draft Twitter sphere have been lowering on him while the mainstream has, has risen quite high, um, almost inexplicably so. Um, I still have a lot of belief in Isaac Okoro because... He's just a fantastic wing passer, incredibly strong, really great finisher and slasher. And then defensively, he's just super strong, and I believe in his team defensive instincts. But the jumper is a real question, and if he's not a viable spot-up shooter, there's, there's a good chance that he's not a very good NBA player. Um, he could definitely be schemed um, offensively to, to make use of his creation and his passing ability, but um, if... If a team were to just, like, slot him in the corner and tell him to shoot, it's probably not going to go very well. And I think, uh, which is kind of curious about the Atlanta fit that you, that you talked about, it, he seems to kind of be linked to Atlanta. And Travis Schlenk seems to love shooters, pass dribble shoot guys. And Okoro misses a key misses a key component of, of that, which is the shooting. So I think it's an interesting fit with Atlanta. I'm not really sure about... I, I'm not really sure about... Why they? I think there's better options, but I do like a coral quite a bit, and I will say I think um, in a Trey Young-led offense, he just having that having that simplified decisions with Trey Young spacing the floor vertically and making m- making players close out on Okoro. Because even if Okoro can't shoot and the scouting report says don't close out, sometimes players will mess up and instinctively close out because that's just part of basketball. Like like you, you see an open shooter, you close out. It's, it's muscle memory for, for a lot of players, and players will forget the scouting report. So in that instance, I think Okoro can be effective there. Uh, about Wiseman, um, I'm not as high on Wiseman. As as the mainstream, but I think twelve ish is like a fine range for him. I, I've kind of been moving up a little on Wiseman recently. As yes, he has a lot of issues. Um, he is very unskilled on offense. The, the jumper is a huge question. As is his general feel for the game, decision making stuff. Um, very just overly ambitious offensively, and then defensively, he really struggles to move in the short area and the pick and roll very jumpy but 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 he is like to his credit he is enormous and he moves like a gazelle in the open floor and he should be a should be an effective rim protector and rim roller so that's a big man that even if he's not going to be a 16 game player as I say maybe won't maybe won't be able to contribute in the playoffs maybe won't be able to like crunch time I think he'll probably be a pretty good regular season player for the first three or three and a half quarters and then, I mean, he's going to get chances because he's that big. I mean, players, teams are going to put resources into developing him. And if he can develop his skills, he'll be a good player. But it's, it's just hard to project that um, serious skill development without any real evidence so far.
1: Yeah, the one glaring thing being with his game is the fact that, you know, shortly into his career with Memphis, uh, that NCAA suspension came in. And after that point, he just decided to forgo all eligibility and immediately start prepping for the draft. So. Because of that, a lot of what we have on him, who was Wiseman was hyped up to be potentially the first overall pick, and now it's a lot of teams are just basing it off of three or four college games and a high school mixtape. So that being said, I can understand there being some concern and caution, especially, as you said, about his jump shot and how that will develop at the higher level. That being said, with a team like Boston – with those picks that they've had and also the concerns that you've got with Robert Williams and his health, um, who had a great sophomore season, but it was hampered by injuries. You know, the times that you saw him, you saw flashes of what he could potentially be, but he missed so much time. And now with the season being suspended, you really start to question what his future is with the team. Do you potentially see the Celtics trying to package picks? If Wiseman happens to fall you know, outside that top 10 or spot 11 or spot 12, anywhere in that range, does that, potentially seem like a viable option to you, or is it more so Celtics taking a risk for the sake of taking a risk?
2: I think um, maybe if he falls a little further than that, like 13, 14, 15, I'm not sure the Celtics would trade up. I, I mean, they certainly might if they if they see, if they believe in Wiseman's ability and they believe in his development. Um, I think, well, I, I guess it all depends on how much you can, how much you can like, how much you have to give up to go get him but i mean just given ainge's tendencies and his tendency to acquire assets um i i wouldn't predict the trade up um i, I don't know of course uh, nobody really does but i wouldn't predict it unless maybe he really starts to slide but but then again they'll probably pick um in the like mid mid late teens um if the memphis pick conveys which like like you've been saying it seems like it might at this point it seems like it's probably going to then. Then they'd maybe be on a range for him to slide if he slides, but if he doesn't slide, I could see him going very high. I mean, like there's rumblings about Golden State really early, and I'm really not sure where he's going to end up. So if I were to guess, I'd think he ends up pretty high, but I mean, I wouldn't say the I'm
0: just looking to change course again. Sorry, I would like to keep throwing you a few curveballs here. I find it interesting <laughs> how you respond. One of my biggest concerns with the whole draft process is how much that. This pandemic has hindered it. the lack of um, March Madness. I'm assuming there's going to be very limited workouts before we enter the draft. From there, are you seeing players that would usually probably increase their draft stock during those workouts and during March Madness that you feel are going to fall down to, you know, the mid to late first round? Oh yeah, undoubtedly. I mean,
2: we see players every year explode in in March Madness and have their stocks boost boosted. I mean, I mean, some for good reason, some not. I mean, we've seen players like Mal- like Malachi Richardson and DJ Wilson have really impressive tournaments and then flame out in the NBA because they were overdrafted. Even a guy like, like DeAndre Hunter last year, even Carson Edwards had a fantastic tournament and saw himself picked in the first round last year. So yeah there's certainly a lot of players who if they maybe if they, maybe who aren't being mocked as highly and if they had a great tournament then they would have gone higher I mean I really don't know about like like I, I I have a hard time predicting who that player would be, but I mean I mean I look at a guy maybe like Kyra Lewis of Alabama who if they if they made it in and they made a far run Kyra would certainly be the one carrying that team or or similar similarly maybe someone like Tyrell Terry a Stanford freshman point guard or maybe even or maybe even some other guys who who declined to early enter at all because they didn't get the opportunity to showcase themselves on that March Madness stage. And then for workouts, like you said, I think there's actually a chance that workout might help a lot of teams because there certainly teams who weigh too heavily into workouts. I'm not sure Boston is one of those teams, but I, there are a lot of teams that weigh very heavily um, in terms of a workout setting. And I think there are some prospects who will certainly benefit um who who certainly are harmed by this lack of workout setting guys who may be underwhelmed this year who could prove that they can shoot or you know prove that they can dribble more than they did um at their respective school or just prove they have some skill that they weren't able to put on to display at their actual um during NCAA basketball but there, there are also guys who maybe wouldn't have been as impressive in workouts, um, but guys that are actually uh, quite good um, in bas- quite good at basketball. And maybe since teams are more reliant on the tape at this point, uh, they'll look at those guys who maybe don't don't shoot as well in workouts or don't have the most incredible showing in a one v one or a two v two or a three v three setting, uh, but their tape was really impressive and their numbers are really impressive. And a smart team will will go and get uh, a player like that. So, someone like I'm not sure. I, I'm thinking someone like a Xavier Tillman if he stays in the draft too. Um, might not shoot. The, might not shoot the lights out. The shoots the lights out in workouts. But I mean, he's just a very strong, incredible defender, excellent, excellent player who whose tape is awesome. So he he might have a chance to go higher than than he might have if there was a workout situation.
0: Do you feel like the way this is going, should multiple teams hit later in the draft due to this? Do you feel like they're going to start changing the way they approach the draft process because of this by relying more on the tape and less on the... Because to me, sometimes it does feel like that March Madness and workouts hold so much weight, even though they're such a small sample size to the rest of a player's collegiate career and high school career. Do you feel like this is going to change the way some teams approach the draft if they manage to hit on somebody later in the, in the first round or even early oh, in the second yeah.
2: Yeah, I think undoubtedly. I I mean, I think like I've mentioned and like a lot of people have talked about, there is a chance that teams do abnormally well in this in this draft because of their forced reliance on tape and on evaluations. And I'm sure they'll have maybe maybe some virtual interviews or virtual workouts with these players, but likely with no combine, no Portsmouth, uh, no PBC. There's there's just not as much of a, a window to see these guys in person. So maybe yeah I, I mean that's a good point if if teams who maybe more traditionally um are more like workout and and big game heavy like 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 a team like chicago um not to call out chicago out who does have an all new an all new uh front office at this point maybe if they see better results this year they say oh you know maybe we want to watch more film and prioritize uh, that film study instead of uh, workouts because i mean workouts are obviously important i think um, there's important stuff you can glean from workouts, like just general demeanor, how players respond. Obviously talking to them and interviewing them and figuring out what their character is like is are things you can't find out from the tape. And you can obviously put them in situations that maybe they weren't in in yeah, put them in situations that, that they weren't in in college and see what they can do um, that they weren't able to show. Um, while they were playing in college, but uh, but yeah, I think this could definitely have an impact on the way teams got in the future. I'm not sure if I'm not sure it would be like a market or like a notable or like statistically significant difference, but I think like for some teams, it might change their view on how scouting on how their scouting process goes. I think
1: chemistry, as you said as well. I think these interviews and getting an idea about these guys' character, I think, will be much more of an impact than in previous times because as you said, with these workouts, you know, unless they're running a private workout, you're not going to have as much of an idea about that player because that lack of March badness, because you don't have that combine, you don't have these guys, you know, doing run-on-one drills. You're, you might not get a lot of those opportunities. I feel like a lot of high character guys have a really good chance of upping their draft stock because at the end of the day, it just matters how these guys work in the locker room. Do you think that is going to have a hold some more water than it would in previous years?
2: I mean yeah, I I mean yeah especially in this time of like much uncertainty and and like see how guys are holding up and how they're responding to this pandemic situation and how they're and how they're training but yeah I, I I mean it's hard it's going to be hard to get as good of a gauge on their character as they would if they were in person of course I mean that goes with just about every part of their game not just the character but yeah I I mean I think high character guys are always going to be valuable in certain organizations and teams are always going to look for players who can fit their culture. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think guys with, guys with high character and guys who are a really good culture fit are you know, always going to be prioritized by some teams.
0: So that pretty much wraps up everything I wanted to ask. We've touched on the possible trade to move up. We've touched on the ideal guys for each position. And then we've touched on a bit of James Wiseman and a bit of the pandemic and how that's going to change everything. The only question I've really got left is, and this is kind of moving away from just Celtics related at the moment. Is there a guy last year that you feel like if he was in this draft this year, and obviously please exclude guys like Zion and everybody, let's go from mid-late first, that you feel if he was in a, in this draft class, he would have been one of the dumb names coming out this year?
2: That's an interesting question. I mean, this draft certainly is worse. And I mean, excluding the top guys... um, I'm trying to think. I mean, maybe a guy like Brandon Clark um, would have stood out more. I mean, we saw how incredible he was um, this year. I mean, probably the third best rookie this year behind Zion and Ja. I mean, he was just incredible this year for Memphis. Maybe um, in this weaker draft class, people would have been more receptive to the idea of an older player who was just super incredibly dominant in college and showed a lot of translatable skills and tools as well. People might have been more open receptive to him as as a higher draft pick um and then I also look at a guy like maybe Kevin Porter Jr. who fell all the way to 30 um played for Cleveland and was pretty successful this year as a rookie Um, I know he had some character concerns and there were issues with injuries and suspension so maybe a team um would have been more willing to take a risk on him um, earlier in this class if they're just less enamored by some of the other talent. But yeah, but I think a lot of the guys who went lower, even like, like lower in the lottery, if lower in the first round, would have been higher picks. Like like I think this year, like the Pistons, uh, Sekou Dumbuya, I think he would have been a higher pick this year. Just that international wing intrigue would have piqued more interest than the 15th pick in the draft um, in, this, in this weaker class. But I mean, yeah, I, I think... Uh, those were probably the guys who had pegged to maybe go higher but, but again it's hard to know how teams really think
0: oh for sure I just wanted to throw a curveball and I was really kind of interested in your answer to be quite honest <laughs> fair <laughs> enough uh, right Ben thank you for coming on thank you everyone for listening if you don't already make sure you follow Ben over at Twitter are you on Instagram Ben?
2: Um, yes but like I, I don't post like basketball content
0: so okay so only on Twitter or over <laughs> at preps to Pros podcast. Ben, do you want to drop your Twitter handle once more for everybody?
2: Yeah, uh, it's um, Ben underscore Pfeiffer. That's P-F-E-I-F-E-R underscore is my Twitter where you can find all of my content.
0: Ben, we've appreciated having you on. It's been good. I've got a few names now I want to kind of dive into a little bit more, so you may get some DMs off me now. Um, (laughs) Everybody will be back again on Wednesday, it's Marvel Week over at SB Nation, so we're going to be doing a Marvel themed episode before we jump back to draft related content again on Friday, where we'll be speaking to Brendan, who's also a co-host on here, about the Kings and their draft. Yeah, their draft prospects. There we go. That's the word I wanted. And we'll see you then. Say bye to. You.
1: Bye.